0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. I am Bree,
1: And I'm Erin.
0: Joining us today, we have author M.K. Stelmack here. Thank you so much. We're so excited that you're here today. Please, M.K., share with us how your 2022 has started off.
2: Well, it's good to be here. That's for certain. Um, how has it started? I would say good and cold. Um, it's It's been a wonderful opportunity to stay inside. And I'm actually trying to write two books at the same time, which is probably not recommended. It's not like I've got two on the front burner, I'm trying to uh, uh, come up with them at the same time. But I've got one on a back burner that is simmering. And then I've got a hot dish going on. And then uh, <laughs> when the call comes in from the editor, I sort of switch places and uh, start cooking something else. Are they for the same series or for a same series? Well, I have the one for Harlequin Heartwarming, which is what I'm uh, contracted under. And it's uh, part of the the new series that I'm working on. But I've got it at the stage now where my editor needs to take a look at, at my synopsis and my first chapter and make sure I'm heading off in the in the right direction. So that's the one that's just simmering there although I've got kind of an eye on it right now it's starting to uh it needs a little bit of stirring shall, shall we say so I might get back into that and then meanwhile my um my hot mess is uh the historical that I'm working on uh, and okay. really I, I just need to get this sucker done
1: all right mk are you ready to get into some icebreakers?
2: Those you have some pretty hard icebreakers. we're gonna <laughs> see exactly how much ice gets broken <laughs> <All right.
1: laughs> Can you tell us your life story in one sentence? No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Period. Especially after I listened to uh, Jen Gilroy when you spoke to her, and she unrolled this beautiful sentence, and I was like, "Yeah, no, that's just not happening." <laughs> I mean, I uh, he, here here's something that maybe we can start with. Uh, uh, farm girl, a word junkie farm girl, heads out into the urban life, gets married, has her quota of two kids, and now finds herself with a little more time to uh, spin out stories. That's
0: perfect.
1: Perfect. I love it. <laughs> if you came with a warning label, what would it say?
2: All I could think of at first was this side up, <laughs> <laughs> which makes absolutely no sense, but it's like the one that stuck in my mind. <laughs> But I, I then the other one was um, stop, you know, those, the vehicles like the big tankers, uh, uh-huh. the, the semi ones that say, we'll stop at all railway crossings or oh, makes yeah. unexpected stops. I think yeah. that's the label that would come, you know, makes unexpected stops. I love that. Yes. That would be me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I can identify. What was your first job?
2: It was as a newspaper reporter. Really? Um. For... Very small town I lived in. It was 1,000, the population never quite made it to 1,000, but it did support a newspaper that covered both that small town and a neighboring town, which was uh, more like 3,000 people, and of course the surrounding uh, farming community. One of my first weekly assignments it was a weekly newspaper was I had to do this, what's called well, they invented this little, uh, project for me. It was survey says, so I was to go out and, uh, with a new weekly question that could be about uh, politics or about local concerns and go out and interview people uh, on the street and ask them their opinion okay so picture this it's like on a Tuesday at 10 a.m in a town less than a thousand people Uh and I step out onto what is the main street and there is literally four vehicles and no one in sight
1: I was going to ask where where do you go in the small town to to you know get the buzz of of the residents?
2: It it was very challenging. I mean, it certainly forced me out of my bubble because because then as the weeks went by, and people would um, read this newspaper like a, like a. Uh, church go would would read their Bible, right? Uh And then it got got to be that the word came out of who I was, what I looked like, when I was most likely to be seen on the street. And then people would be diving into uh, the, the little local library or into the grocery store to like, get away from me, not because they were had anything against me but they were just so shy right so oh. it would take days to rummage up five people
1: really i would have assumed it'd be the the opposite that you'd get uh you'd get recognized and, and people be coming up to you and, oh what's the what's the latest survey
2: <laughs> yeah well i know because they were kind of they were kind of shy and then they would be published and and published you know it, wasn't, it wouldn't be like the local thing where you could be published uh holding um you know a quilt that you had made or Having received a donation for the 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 local charity, this is where people you were going to be asked your opinion. You were your 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 whole sense of who you were was being put on the line, really.
0: Well, we love to hear romance origin stories, so can you share with us how you became a romance reader?
2: Growing up in a smallish house, my sister and I shared a small bedroom. We're talking bunk beds pressed up against one side of the wall. And then a very short step to uh, the desk on the other side of the wall. Uh, So on the other side of the room. And that desk had a set of drawers on either side. On the right-hand side were my drawers. And the left-hand side were her drawers. She was nine years older than me. Mm. So when she moved out in her early 20s, I was nine years younger and around 12 or 13. And so while we were there, we're very um, considerate of each other's space. But you know, she's no longer living there, and Sunday afternoons get really boring. So I cracked open a drawer, and there were these books that mom would never let me read. (laughs) Right? So and I mean... I cracked it open because on the other side of the wall was where uh, mom was taking her Sunday afternoon nap. Right. And there they were. And there was the super romances back from the eighties when they were like nearly a a hundred thousand words and had all those uh, lavish international settings. Um, I think there was like one from uh, set in India And then the other one I remember was, it was a huge, thick book from, I think, from Avon. And it had, um, it was more like the Bodice Ripper kind of.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about.
2: But but the spine on it wasn't very good. And even after my sister had read it, there was a few pages that had uh, broken away from the Uh spine. So I had to barely carefully uh turn those it was just like turning and it like a a loose page completely and then tucking it all back and oh that was that that was one where um the hero had uh captured the 18 year old uh girl and took her across on 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 his ship and i mean that was completely sort of unquestioned but that's that sort of I guess, kind of sort of a sort of a wild romance writing at, at that time, that sort of uh, made me first love the genre. And then, of course, you know, I had to grow out of that, supposedly. Right. And go read more refined books. That was when the bug bit me. So has
1: writing always been a passion of yours? And at what point in your life did you realize you wanted to pursue writing professionally?
2: Yes, I always wanted to to write. And I guess uh, when we say writing professionally, I, I suppose that first job as a newspaper reporter, I mean, that's when I kind of made my first box when I was um, 18. So that's when I was, um, so I knew that I could write professionally, that, that kind of idea was open to me. But then I, I didn't feel at that point that I could justify writing novels, that if I was going to write, then I needed to write stuff that was going to get me a paycheck of some kind. So I started more of a freelancing career writing for newspapers and magazines um, back in the time when they were uh, sort of still uh, in print and thinking I needed to make it big that way so deciding to but so it was sort of a sideline to writing as the nonfiction articles that I wrote a couple of young adult manuscripts and the first one I I wrote I did submit it to a publisher who said you know could you do revisions and then send it back in and my thought then was oh she's just trying to be nice And I never did those revisions. Can you believe that? Like, what was I thinking? I mean, that's that she was opening the door and I just kind of walked away from that.
1: So I would not do that today. Yeah. Submitting is a scary process, though, I imagine. I I mean, I haven't uh, I haven't. Made that leap yet? But I could see being so self-conscious and so worried about it that you get that response, and you just assume, oh, they hate me.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's a totally unnecessary response, right? Uh-huh. Because it comes down to just a numbers game, and then and then you know, it's just you're asking, you're basically, I guess, and I guess, a way asking them out on a date, and and they say no, and it's kind of a good thing in a way because obviously it wasn't meant to be.
0: In 2018, your book A Roof Over Their Heads released, which is book one in your A True North Hero series. What did the world of publishing look like to you as you were entering into it?
2: Well, I'd already self-published as part of a 12-novel multi-author series uh, a few months prior to that. So I was aware of what the publishing industry looked like on the self-publishing end of it. Um, I'd actually started A Roof Over Their Head, then paused to write, uh, the novel that became part of this, uh, multi-author series. And then I came back to it. So I was only aware of the Harlequins publishing history because they, as the massive reputation that they, that they already have, but it was interesting because, sort of one editor bought the book. And then a few months later, she was no longer working with Harlequin. I then got another editor who then two or three months later, switched jobs and was no longer with Harlequin. I got a third one who saw me through, I think, the second one and into Mm -hmm. the third. But then she took maternity leave. And then I had uh, another, there was a Pause in my publishing schedule, and then I got another editor, and then she helped me through the next one, and then I was back. And now I am thankfully back with the the editor that went uh, on maternity leave. So when they talk about how things can be topsy turvy and you can get one editor or um, lines open, lines close, editors come, editors go, I certainly got that experience. Yeah, but it was still a good yeah. experience mm-hmm. in the sense that I, I've always I've always felt that the Harlequin editors are. Very serious about producing the best possible book. So, and I, I hugely
1: appreciate that. So, what was your journey in self-publishing? Can you walk us through that? And you know, the what things did you expect, and what things surprised you there? W-
2: with this uh, multi-author series, the the good part was is that we had a development, two editors, a developmental air editor and a series editor who were very aware of how the entire series should look like and how my book in particular should fit into that. So that, that was awesome. And it was a, so it wasn't exactly self-publishing in that it all came from me and I put that book up there. Um, it, I, I still almost had a sort of a bit of a hybrid experience between self-publishing and the more traditional publishing experience. But I've always appreciated any experience that where they're heavy into the editorial and producing the best possible book. So for me, that was that was still an excellent experience because I, you know, whatever it takes to make me a better writer. Is what I can commit to. Yeah. But it's very hard in terms of uh, the the whole uh, marketing and I'm not a natural With that, so I did make a decision a while ago, and I—it's just one I need to keep following up on—is I haven't expanded my social media platforms, and I want to concentrate on where the books are, which for me, uh, currently. Is Goodreads and Book Pub, and I know mm-hmm. each of these platforms can have their drawbacks and such, but at least I feel that I am in a place where books are the priority, and writing is the priority, reading's a priority, and mm-hmm. instead of trying to like with TikTok to try to chisel out mm-hmm. your little space, social media space there, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Plus, I love just being on Goodreads and hearing about all the books that are out there and what people are reading and adding to my want to read list.
0: If someone had never read a heartwarming romance, how would you describe it to them?
2: I'd probably use the same words that I have on my for my own tagline, which is home and heart, family and friends. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Harlequin builds their books as sort of clean and wholesome, which is a bit of a challenge actually when you're when your male and female leads are in their healthy 30s right or mm-hmm. late 20s um, so the concentration is on romantic tension versus sexual tension so building that up and they're because it is the longest um, worded line in, in that they allow, 70,000 words, which is the longest of any of the Harlequin lines. It does allow room for a little bit of subplots, but uh, kind of an expansion into not just the romance, but into friends and family issues as well, which I really like.
1: So your upcoming release is Their Promise Together, which is book three in your heartwarming series, The Montgomery's of Spirit Lake. Can you share with our listeners what this series is about and where the inspiration from it came?
2: It's about three sisters who inherit from their aunt uh, a commercial building, a lakefront commercial building in my uh, fictional town of Spirit Lake. And the commercial building has three units. So each of them get a unit. And in the first my first book—it uh, was a Christmas story. The sister is already operating a, a restaurant in one of the units, but the restaurant is not doing well, and she needs the ends up uh, working with um, her former fiance, who has returned to town from his humanitarian work with uh, his two adopted daughters, and then. It, I have the second one, Her Rodeo Rancher, which is a a straight-up sort of of fish-out-of-water romance there. And it focuses on the youngest... A sister who was opening up a, a, a kind of a spa experience in in her unit, and then it. Then I moved back to for the the third one. uh the, their together. Promise Mara, who is the middle sister, okay. and she's the one. She was really hard to write of of all the characters I've had to write. She was she was the hardest. Um, she has a, a visual degenerative disorder, mm-hmm. so I was robbed of using visuals. To describe, at least for her, like from Connor's, her uh, the the hero. I was able to, I could go wide open with that. But with her, the challenge became to be uh, sensitive to what she could only see and to have to rely on her other senses. And senses that I don't even have. Like her condition is retinitis pigmentosa. And I did research with that and spoke to people with retinitis. Uh, I spoke to one woman who actually had kids and because that's a component of the story too is uh, the conflict about uh, about whether or not to have children, but this condition can cause the the can cause them to have echolocation because uh, they're
1: oh, interesting. Because, it heightens
0: their hearing. Yeah,
2: yeah, because um the the one woman I spoke to, Victoria Nolan, who's just a, a powerhouse in her own right. When I asked her, well, how how did you take care of your children when they were so young without that, without having strong vision? And she she would say, she said, well, I just sort of, you know, I could feel the air. Oh. <laughs> and I, oh, feel the air. So how am I as a writer going to try to Capture show that, yeah. The air being felt without and make it genuine. Mara was a was really difficult to write. And on top of that, she has a not she holds things in as well. So
0: we saw on your website and you mentioned it a little bit already, but you have been editing an historical romance that you've written. So, is there anything that you can share with us about that?
2: This is this is a story that has become something of a joke. Uh, in my local writing group uh, because mm-hmm. because I've been working on it since, I thought it was for the past 10 years. And then today I was thinking about it again. And I was like, no, it's been 15 years <laughs> now. And so I'm now at the stage where I'm 90% through the rewrite. I, th- th- this is the hot mess book. And remember I was mentioning at the beginning that I yes. was writing two uh-huh. books at a time. So this is my hot mess Right now that I am determined to get through and everyone says can't wait for it to come out um, because it has sort of a quite a powerful premise in in their minds. It's set in 1825 in Russia and essentially it's an, an assassin and the czar's personal guard. So the man she loves stands in the way of the man she's vowed to kill is is the crux of it. But it's one of those uh, sweeping, epic love stories for all time. And right now at the 90% mark, I can say it's going to probably tap out at around 135,000 words. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so that can explain part of the 15 years. But the way I... Also, try to justify it as okay. Well, I also ha- was quite involved in raising a, a couple of kids here, and I wrote six mm-hmm. other novels in between every everything else. But um, yeah, that's sort of that's where I'm at. I am very e- e- excited for this novel too. Well, and the other thing is, is because it's set in Russia, uh, I have had to do a fair amount of research. Looking for appropriate documents in English, since I know nary a word in Russian, so that has been a bit of a challenge. But yes, it's a whole lot of fun, and it's and it goes in a completely different direction than heartwarming. It it. It is a lot more, I guess, sort of sensual in the way. That's a, sort of what I can can say about it. And it's sort of a step-by-step process with that one.
1: Knowing what you know now, what is one piece of advice that you'd go back and give yourself at the beginning of your writing career?
2: I was thinking that I needed to become, if I was going to write, I needed to do it for money in order to justify writing. <laughs> and I think if I went back, I would really examine what I wanted. And if it was writing the novels, I would have focused more on doing that and reframed the need to feel that I had to justify my writing and understood it for what it was when you start writing novels is that you're in an apprenticeship, you're in an internship, just like a mechanic is or an engineer is. It's understood that you're you're not a professional right away and you don't need to be right the same thing with a doctor or, or a lawyer mm-hmm. you there is that learning curve and then within the professional umbrella, you're still in a sort of a reserved position. You work as an intern at a lawyer's office or you do your residence at a at a residency at a at a hospital. Uh-huh. Right. And and that's and that's sort of Aaron, what I would my advice to the those is just like don't feel that you need to justify your writing and understand that it it is going to be a process and then just go for it. Write from your heart and write as if nobody cares.
0: Has there been a tough piece of advice that you've received that re- may at the time not have resonated with you, but months later, years later, really, really struck a chord and really meant something?
2: Maybe it's the same piece of advice I still have a hard time taking, which is take a few days off. Well, because I, especially with right I find that it's like a muscle and yeah. it I can know if I just... Le- let it go lax for even a few days it's harder to get to charge back Mm -hmm. up to that word count that daily word count that i was doing before i find that it takes two or three days before i'm back at it again so so i don't like to actually leave it for more than a, a day or two but then the, uh, how do you feel that creative well if you're constantly draining it dry? Uh, so, so, it's, so. It's, it's a tough piece of advice that I know where they're coming from, but I'm, I really don't like letting go of my routine.
1: <laughs> so I find your your writing journey really interesting. That it's it's almost kind of this this backwards approach that you were writing for money and, you know, to put food on the table and everything. And you had to give yourself permission to write something for fun when it's usually, you know, someone's uh, has their, you know, day job doing whatever. And they've got that, you know, under the bed novel that they're writing, you know, that they're just dreaming about publishing. So it's a, it's a really, really nice to hear a kind of, different approach or, or different experience with uh, with writing?
2: Yeah. Well, because in the end, you know, I've made a lot more money if we're going to be, if you can make money in this business, um, I've made a lot more money writing the books I love than I ever did writing for for magazines and newspapers and the doing the obligatory writing. Mm-hmm. You see, I know that for other people who are at heart nonfiction writers who can write those incredible newspaper articles that change people's way of thinking about politics and about the whole social structure you can you can feel their passion in that and that's where they are to be that's why because this is such an incredibly hard job anyway you might as well as be able to write your passion rather than because that's ultimately where the where the money follows anyway is is to your passion
0: is there anything else coming out from you that you're able to share
2: sure if um i'm because i'm starting that third series i was mentioning at the beginning and it's loose again it's a it's a an rancher with two daughters and uh like a son you know so someone uh he he considers a son um and it's tentatively called, and this is just coming from me, not coming from Harlequin quite yet, but uh, the umbrella term that I can hold on to uh, is sort of re- redemption at the ranch. So each of these okay. is as a redemption story. And I've got uh, the first one underway. It's kind of a friends to forever's uh, story. And the hero shows uh, wants to restore his family's legacy. I buying back uh, the land that was sold to uh, his neighbor, uh, but the neighbor has promised it to his daughter who intends to use the land to secure a future for her and her newborn son. So I guess I will have to figure out how they will come to some sort of agreement about that. Yeah. Yeah. Because
0: <laughs> we, we need that happy ever after. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> so i am
2: having a I, I am having a lot of fun uh with with both of them because well especially with her she's uh she is not a mara she she does uh speak her mind quite forcefully and uh and and it's actually the the hero who is going to have to try to uh, or what do we, we can't we don't really use the word hero anymore do the male lead uh is mm-hmm. going to have to uh deal with her bluntness
1: I, I love a blunt female main character, just to put that out there.
2: Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> and and she's very good at what she does, too. So
1: very capable. Well, lastly, where can everyone follow you online?
2: Uh, well, yeah, I don't poke my head up very much, do I? So I have a website, Uh I have a Goodreads a handle. You can find me under MK Stelmach there and ask me a question. Um, I, I love to take questions. And actually, I, I realized that it quite after this uh, podcast with you, I realized that I really do like to talk. I didn't, I didn't realize how much I just <laughs> <laughs> like to go on and on and on. And then um, you, you can find me also on BookPub and Facebook. Yeah, I'm, I'm on Facebook uh, yeah. as well. And that's about it. I have Instagram, but um, it, it would really be a hit and miss about whether you'd get a reply from me there. Yeah, so it's like oh, I don't. know, Maybe I should just take it down. And and things <laughs> like oh, I would not. I would not step anywhere near Twitter.
1: Understood. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the wild wild west yeah.
2: out there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm sure the side of my face would get blasted if I from the heat from there.
0: We will have links to all the places where listeners can keep up with you. Thank you so much for letting us talk to you today and pick your brain and we cannot wait for the book and the books that are coming after that. So thank you so much for being here today. It's just been oh, well, so Thank awesome. you for having me. It's been a blast. Well, listeners, make sure you check the show notes. We'll have links to where you can keep up with MK Stalmac as well as where you can get her books. So make sure you're checking the show notes. Aaron, tell everyone where they can find you.
1: So I'm on YouTube at Aaron's Reading Room and you can find me on Twitter my handle is A underscore T A Y one two two zero. And then I'm the book brood adventures on Instagram.
0: All righty. And he will also, you know, shameless friend plug soon have videos on Harlequin's website. Just saying, I have to plug it in there. So, listeners, make sure you check the show notes. Everybody's information will be down there. And we will be back in our next episode. Have a lovely day, everybody. Talk to you soon.